The Golf.com podcast is brought to you by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code GOLFING for $20 off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader of one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code GOLFING at FanDuel.com to play a risk-free tournament at up to $10. If you take a look at his um, performance through the lens of Stroke's game, it turns out he's not only a great putter, which you said, but he is great at the short game, he is great at approach shots, and he's great at driving. So he's basically two and a half strokes better than the field every round he plays because he's sort of equally outperforming in each of the four main areas. Greetings and welcome to another Golf.com podcast. I'm Alan Bastable, and today I'm pleased to welcome to the show golf stats savant Mark Brody. A professor at Columbia Business School, Brody is the brain behind the PGA Tour's revolutionary strokes gain metric, which essentially tells you how a player is performing in various statistical categories in relation to the rest of the field. For example, if you had checked the strokes gained putting leaders at the end of the last PGA Tour season, you would have learned that Aaron Badley's silky putting stroke helped him pick up .72 strokes on the field in any given round, which was tops on the PGA Tour. Or you could have pulled up another of Brody's babies, his strokes gained tee to green stat, and learned that Bubba Watson is such a ball-striking stud that from tee to green, he picked up on average a whopping 1.88 strokes per round on the field. That was also best on tour. These stats are great fun for fans, and potentially game-changing for tour players who are always mining their output in search of ways to improve. When Brody isn't devising new performance analytics or explaining derivative securities to his students, he finds time to write a monthly column for Golf Magazine called Every Shot Counts. Mark now joins us on the phone from his office at Columbia University. So Mark, welcome to the podcast, first of all. I I haven't had the pleasure of visiting your office up at Columbia, but I'm imagining a space that is cluttered with stacks of uh, stats books, maybe a chalkboard in the corner with equations and algorithms. Is that is that an accurate description of your office? Uh, it's it's pretty close. If you add in uh, pretty messy and lots of books everywhere and uh, lots of papers cluttered on my desk, uh, that would that would be a pretty accurate description. Maybe a couple of golf clubs in the corner. I have um, uh, some miniature golf clubs that uh, have Phil Mickelson's name on them that were uh, a gift from our dean. And I have a couple of putters, and a colleague of mine used to have putting contests in my, uh, in my office, which was a lot of fun. So are you, are you kind of known as the, as the golf guy around Columbia? Kind of people know you for that? I, th- I think so. I mean, uh, certainly people in the business school know me, but um, I'm also the faculty advisor for the Columbia men's golf team. So um, I've had interactions with the, uh, the, the coach and, and the players over the years. Where, where does the Columbia team play their, play their home tournaments? They um, have an agreement with St. Andrews, and so I think they, they play some, uh, you know, some matches there, but a lot of times they're just traveling to tournaments. So I think St. Andrews is pretty much their practice course. That's St. Andrews in Westchester County, not, not in Scotland? Absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so I guess my first question is a simple one, and that's why golf? As I, as I mentioned in the introduction, you have a background in things like derivative pricing and portfolio optimization, a lot of other things I don't understand. 
How and why did you take that expertise and apply it to golf? Well, I've been a golfer since I was a kid. Not a very good golfer, but uh, certainly been interested in golf, and it was sort of a hobby. And um, I, I realized at some point that I could combine my professional interest, which was in financial quantitative finance, with my kind of personal passion and put the two uh, together. And a lot of the uh, tools that I use in sort of quantitative finance research port directly over to answering what I think are interesting questions about golf. So it's a, a great combination, I think, of my uh, professional and personal interests, which is uh, fabulous if you have a chance to do it. And the strokes gain metric is is sort of the sort of the stat that puts you on the map. I know you'd been analyzing golf st- stats a long time before you came up with that, but uh, did you know you're onto something there when you when you developed that? Did did it surprise you um, that the tour took to it as it, as it did? Well, I think there's um, a lot of chance that's that's involved in something like that, meaning being in the right place at the at the right time. And I first started to analyze amateur data, and I wanted to figure out where the 10 strokes uh, difference that come between a golfer who shoots 90 and a golfer who shoots 80. Where, where do those 10 strokes come from? And what's the difference between an 80 golfer and a, and a pro golfer? Where do those strokes come from? And that sort of led uh, fairly naturally to this strokes gained analysis, but a few things had to fall into place fall into place at the same time. First, I was doing this research on amateur golf. At about the same time, the PGA Tour started collecting this fabulous data with their shot link system. So they started recording um, for every PGA Tour event and every player, every shot where it started and where it finished, which is exactly the kind of system that I built to am- analyze amateur data. So the PGA Tour data was just starting to be collected. Uh, At the same time, I was starting to do this analysis of amateur data. And then a few years later, the the PGA Tour said that, you know, they have this amazing shot link data, and they also have this big hole in their putting stats that they thought that putts per round did not really measure uh, putting skill very well. And they also had length of pole putts and putts per green in regulation, which also had uh, their own flaws. So they thought the biggest gap in their stats was in putting. And so at exactly sort of the time that they were looking around for a putting stat, I had presented work on strokes gained for all parts of the game. And so those, those things all came together kind of at the, at the same time. And it was in May 2011 that they rolled out their uh, strokes gained putting stat. And, I mean, to me, that seems, I, I know, obviously, the um, introduction of ShotLink was, as you mentioned, a big part of this. But, you know, for as, as analytical as golfers tend to be and obsessed in their, in their games and their stats, it seems to me that the, the stats revolution came to golf a little bit late. I mean, I would say baseball was probably like two decades ahead of it. Is that, is that an accurate characterization? I, I think so, but one of the one of the differences is with the PGA Tour is they immediately put this stat on their website. They spent a long time even before that, sort of uh, explaining it to the golf influencers, the the media, the writers, the broadcasters, the coaches, 
And so they got buy-in fairly early on, whereas a lot of the advanced baseball stats are still in uh, geek land on uh, websites that, that don't quite make it into TV broadcasts. So I think golf at least has a leg up, even if they started a little bit late. Um, they have a little bit of a leg up in acceptance and uh, understanding of this by the fans. And, you know, now it seems like every conceivable stat is is out there for, for fans to feast on from, uh, you know, left rough tendency to greens and regulation with a six iron to one putt percentage from 20 to 25 feet. I mean, you name it, it's out there. Um, and yet I've heard you and some other stats experts say that, you know, we've potentially only scratched the surface. Like, What else is there to uncover? What What is the future hold for golf stats? Well, I think, you know, some of the original shot link data that they had and that they still have that you mentioned is sort of a combination of too much and too little. It's too much information and too little insight that you can have a player who's ranked first in putts from four feet and 80th in putts from five feet and third from putts from six feet. And that makes no sense. You can't have a golfer that's great from four and six feet and not very good from five feet. That's just looking at the data so finely that you lose sight of the pattern. And so that's what I meant that it's, it's both too much, too much information and too little insight. And I think if um, you aggregate it so correctly, there's there's a lot that you can learn that you can learn about the game. And I think strokes gain is is one way to uh, uh, to do that. But it could be in conjunction with with other ways to look at the shot length data. With the NFL, college football, college basketball, and the NBA, sports fans have an exciting few months ahead. The next time you head for the stadium or your favorite concert venue, try the SeatGeek app. It's the easiest way to find a great deal on tickets, and now when you use my code GOLFING, you'll get $20 back. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free and takes less than a minute to download. Then you search for your event, find a great deal, enter our code GOLFING, and when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send a $20 check to your house. It's that easy. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online and shows you the best deals automatically. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket available for your event all on one page. They rank every available ticket with a deal score and show you a color-coded map that's easy to read. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. Store your credit card, and when you find a ticket you want to buy, make the purchase with two quick taps of your phone. There's no faster way to buy tickets. So, to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code GOLFING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. To go see the PGA Tour, the NFL, or the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and our code GOLFING to get $20 off. And it, I, I know you've worked with tour pros in the past that you maybe you are at the moment. What, what what kind of things specifically are they looking for? I mean, it's I think they all have probably have a pretty good handle on what their weaknesses are. I mean, I think most 15 handicappers could probably tell you that. But what what are you providing them that maybe they, they can't get elsewhere? So I think some people are good at knowing what their weaknesses are and other people are not from amateurs to pros. And so for amateurs, a lot of amateurs that are, say, 15 handicappers tend to play with other 15 handicappers, and they may not have a good sense of where they're 
losing strokes compared to say a five handicapper. Um, and with pros, one of the differences there is that the margins are so fine that they may know they're kind of strong in one area and weak in another area, but it's hard to translate that into strokes. So weak could be you're losing a tenth of stroke, and strong could be mean, meaning you're gaining a half a stroke. But it's very hard to tell tenths of a strokes when you're hitting so many shots, and some of them are great, some of them are terrible, a lot of them are average, and you want to sort of add that all up and compare it to what, what the shots of everybody else is playing. So I think, you know, pros have, have a pretty good sense of where their strengths and weaknesses are, but, but not always because uh, the magnitudes really matter. If you're losing two-tenths versus losing uh, five-tenths of a stroke, that can be really important for how you want to structure your, your practice time. Can, can you give me a, maybe a, a specific example of, um, you know, maybe how some of your advice has paid off? I mean, I, I don't know. I know some uh, some stats experts don't like to reveal who they're working with, but is there any any little anecdote you could share from from working with a tour pro? Well, I think, you know, this is maybe a story that goes, goes back a little bit. Um, when this is sort of working with Colin Swatton and, and Jason Day, and Colin Swatton kind of knew this because he's not only the coach but the caddy, so he's seeing all of Jason Day's shots. And for a three-year period, Jason Day was, you know, gaining strokes on the field in all the major categories. The four that I look at are putting, short game, approach shots, and driving. So you'd say, well, you know, he's, he's a great player. He's doing everything pretty well. But when you um, drill down a little bit into his approach shots, from 100 to 150 yards or so, he was not good. He was well below tour average year after year after year. So three years in a row, you have this great golfer who's overall doing doing fine in, in most of the shot categories, but with basically his wedge, nine iron kind of uh, clubs, he was losing strokes to the field. He was ranked you know, 130th to 180th in strokes gained from 100 to 150 yards. And he started changing um, how he was, how he's practicing. And, you know, Colin, you know, step one is sort of identifying a weakness, but then step two is addressing it. And so he addressed it by, you know, taking a look at how not, you know, not only where the ball was landing, but what the trajectory was and how much spin it had and how it reacted on the green because the ultimate goal is to get a shot close to the hole. Um, it's not to land it 10 feet away and then have it spin back so it's 30 feet away from the, from the hole. Um, so he worked on, on that and then, you know, the next year he was, you know, he gained, I forget, uh, three or four tenths of a stroke just on shots between 100 and 150 yards. And obviously, it's obviously it's paid off uh, in a big way this year for him. Uh, oh, absolutely! Yeah, he had his clearly his best year ever. Do um, do you think the players players from 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 you know previous generations, the the Jacks and the Arnies, the other greats, were they you know now knowing what players know today about their own games? Were those guys obviously they were playing on on a on a level playing field at the time because nobody else had access to these stats? But would those players have been better? 
even better than they were if they had access to all the data that's now available? Yeah, it's definitely speculation, but I think they might have been. And I think Jack Nicholas may be, in, in some part, led the way with recording his shots. I thought that, um, you know, he wrote that he would record his shots in a, in a notebook after every tournament. And even though he had a great memory, he could go back and see what he hit you know, the last year at the same course. And so the idea of, you know, having a yardage book and recording your shots, I think is an idea that sort of goes back decades and pros did what they could do in the pre-shot link era. So I think they're, um, you know, the, the better golfers anyway, were aware of the advantages of tracking how well you're doing and using it to your advantage. Yeah, I guess it just required a little bit more work. 20 or yeah, a lot more work. Um, I know, I know uh, Annika famously tracked her stats pretty closely, and as you mentioned, yep. other players have too. Um, personally, I don't really have a stomach for it. I don't have the uh, the patience to track my own stats, but I'm wondering, you know, obviously it's important at the tour pro level. Uh, you know, how much of a difference can it, can it make for like a, you know, a 15, 20 handicapper to be meticulously poring over his or her, her stats? Well, I, I think it's interesting that you said that. So I uh, work with Pat Goss, who's Luke Donald's coach. And Pat Goss is also the coach of the Northwestern golf team. And a few years ago, and, and Pat Goss is an analytical guy. Um, and he's, you know, one of the first adopters of sort of strokes gain analysis for, for Luke Donald's game. And he would surprise people by saying that his college golfers did not keep their stats. And it made perfect sense because if you're tracking fairways, greens, and putts, you're not going to learn very much. There are these traditional stats that are incredibly flawed. And when most amateur golfers and a lot of pros think about stats, they think about fairways, greens, and putts. And those stats can be anywhere from uninformative to completely misleading. I think so. It, it it doesn't help if if that's I think all that you're recording, and you know similarly just just one little example. If you, if you recorded your sand saves, if your sand save fraction is pretty low, it could be for two reasons: you're not hitting it great out of the sand, or you're not sinking the putt after that. So just tracking your sand save isn't going to really help you hone in on your weakness in in a way that strokes gain can. So I think it's important to record, you know, good stats like strokes gained and um, you want to be able to do that as easily as possible. And for the pros, it's really easy because they have this army of volunteers doing the data collection for them. For the amateurs, it's a, it's a bit harder. Yeah. I mean, what is, is there an easy way to, to track strokes gained if you're you're doing it yourself well it's the technology is getting getting closer um so i've been working on an app for a while that should be you know ready to go in a in a few months uh called golf metrics and it'll allow the golfer to sort of uh record their strokes either during the play on the course or or after they get off the course and it's it's going to be for the the people that are really serious about about this, so maybe not for you if uh, right. <laughs> if you right. have an aversion to that. I'll check it out. But but they also have the you know the thing that's that's happened in the last couple of years are these GPS based apps. Yeah. 
Uh, so TaylorMade has partnered with Microsoft, and they have a band that you wear on uh, your wrist that tracks, you know, how many steps you you take and what your heart rate and and a bunch of other things. But they have a, an app called MyRound Pro, which uses the GPS in this band to record where you hit the shots. So you don't actually have to do anything. When you take a swing and you hit the ball, the band on your wrist knows that you just hit a ball, and it records the GPS location, and then you walk to your shot out in the fairway, and then you swing again, and when you hit the ball, it'll record that GPS location as well. So that sort of automatic data collection is making it easier for amateurs to, to track their stats. Yeah, yeah, I, I no doubt that will make a make a big difference. I mean, that's part of it, I think, is just just the uh, the labor, the manual labor of tracking, but if, if it's sort of happening for you, I think that, uh, that'll turn a lot more people onto it. Absolutely, and I think I think if you're you're willing to put in the effort to track fairways, greens, and putts, um, it would be better. It would be time better spent to uh, track your strokes gained in in various categories. When you look back at all the research that you've done, is it, is there any you know what's what's the biggest thing that surprised you? Uh, is there anything you uncovered that either changed how you feel about a certain part of the game or or any individual player? Anything that sticks out? Well, I think one of the interesting things, besides this uh, old adage of drive for show, putt for dough isn't isn't really right, is that there's a lot of similarities between the professional game and the amateur game. And that if you take a look at the strokes between a 90 golfer and an 80 golfer, about two-thirds of that difference comes from shots outside 100 yards and one-third from shots inside 100 yards. And that breakdown of two-thirds of the strokes gained outside 100 and one-third for strokes gained inside 100 is quite constant among players of all different skills. So going from 100 to 90 or 90 to 80 or from an average tour pro to a great tour pro, that, that fraction is, is pretty constant. So... I was a little bit surprised at, at that, that how sort of uh, generally applicable this, this result was. Here at Sports Illustrated, we have four shows that cover the NFL, including the SI Fantasy Football Podcast hosted by Michael Beller, which is dedicated to helping you win your league. If you're not playing fantasy football yet, this is your chance to get in on the action. Now when you use my code GOLFING at FanDuel.com, you can play a risk-free tournament for up to $10. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. Building a team is easy and fun. Just pick your players and stay under the salary cap. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. The NBA and NHL are here too, so you can play fantasy sports for real cash any night of the week. FanDuel is not just for huge tournaments. You can set up a private league and play against your friends anytime, anywhere. It's a great way to keep up with your golfing buddies who don't live close by. Think you know fantasy football? Come and prove it over at FanDuel.com. Over 2 million players have already won money on FanDuel. Now it's your turn. To get started, go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the code GOLFING and sign up now. Here's a great new offer for my listeners. If you enter a league and you don't win, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any contest you want, up to 10 bucks. You can sign up on FanDuel.com using my code GOLFING then make a deposit and choose your league. If you don't win, you'll get that money right back in your FanDuel account. The only way to get this no-lose offer 
is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, and use my code GOLFING. FanDuel.com, where it can finally pay to be a fan. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. One of the other things you've written about um, at, at fairly great length, you, you wrote a feature for Golf Magazine several months ago about a streak that Tiger Woods had um, back in the 1990, from 1999 to 2000 when he beat the field in 89, beat the field scoring average in 89 consecutive PGA Tour events, or excuse me, PGA Tour rounds. Yeah, yeah, that that was a real surprise and a and a fun fun one to do. And it started off as I didn't think golf had enough sort of fun streaks and records like baseball and some other sports do. And so I was wondering, you know, you might have heard about you know golfers that have gone you know 300 holes without a three putt. Uh, so well, what what kind of interesting things like that might happen in in the golf world? Um, how many consecutive times does a golfer put a drive in the fairway or how many consecutive times does a pga tour pro hit a green from 100 to 150 yards starting from the fairway but one of the sort of simpler ones was just how many consecutive times does a pga tour pro beat the field so if a pro shoots a 69 and say the field average that day is 71 and a half the golfer beat the field so the 69 was better than the field average of 71 and a half. And so I asked a bunch of people, how many times in a row do you think is the longest streak of beating the field? And I got answers ranging from 15, 20, 25, something like that. And that really makes sense as, as a record because the person who's in second place, Marco Mira, had a streak of 33 in a row. And the person who was in third had a streak of 32 in a row. And then after that, it was either 32 or, or 31. I, I forget. So that was sort of in the ballpark of 15, 25, something like that. So a streak in, in the low 30s. And then lo and behold, when I went through the data, this Tiger Woods streak jumped out. And I was like, I've got to double check this because it just didn't seem to make sense. 89 times in a row, he beat the field in this uh in this time from 1999 to, to 2000. So he almost tripled the length of the longest streak held by anybody else on the PGA Tour. And that was just so, you know, like otherworldly that, like I said, I had to check it two or three different ways to make to make sure it was right. But it's, it's just a phenomenal record that I think is sort of un, unbeatable yeah, I mean it's amazing too because you you think you know everything about Tiger Woods uh, statistically anyway, and then to to this is what fourteen years later to to dig this up is is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's had one of the fun parts about this kind of work in in golf analytics is that more and more questions come come around. I thought this would be a project that would last for two or three years, and now I have about, uh, I have many more projects that I'm working on than I, than I ever imagined uh, years ago. Is there any, I've kind of put you on the spot here, you may, I don't know if you'll have an answer, but, uh, but you know, there's, we, there are certain things we know that uh, certain tour players do well. We know, obviously, Jordan Spieth is a great putter. Uh, Bubba Watson obviously hits it a mile. Are, th- are there any any um, any things that players do well that sort of the average guy at home 
might be surprised by or didn't know? Well, I think Jordan, Jordan Spieth is, is a good example because if you take a look at his uh, driving distance, greens and regulation, other sort of traditional measures, he doesn't stand out. And I got this question from a number of people and ended up writing a, a golf magazine column of, about it, which is, you know, how is Jordan Spieth so good when it doesn't seem like if you're, you know, uh, not, not particularly long, not particularly straight, and you don't, you know, by, by not any of these things, I mean, you know, he's in the 50s or 40s or 70s in greens and regulation, something, something like that the last couple of years, how could he be so good? And I'm always mystified at some people that say, oh, it's because he has heart. It's like, no, it's because the stats don't reflect what he's doing well. And if you take a look at his um, performance through the lens of strokes gained, it turns out he's not only a great putter, which you said, but he's great at the short game, he's great at approach shots, and he's great at driving. By great, I mean he's in the top 10 or 15 in each of those categories. And so he's sort of uniformly strong across the board. So he isn't Dustin Johnson long, or he isn't Tiger Woods' uh, skill at his peak with his, with his irons, and he's not um, Luke Donald or Steve Stricker with his wedges. And so everybody says, well, what, what is it? It must be his putting. No, it's that he's... He's just uniformly good across the board, and uniformly good, well, actually uniformly great across the board is sort of what leads to this historical season that he had in, in 2015, that the traditional stats don't, don't really uh, illuminate very well. Yeah, but that, that's a pretty simple formula. If you do everything well, you're going to be a pretty good player. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, just to give you an idea, in... Um, in, in the last year, he gained about six-tenths of a stroke in each of four categories. So he was gaining more than 0.6 in putting, more than 0.6 in the short game, more than 0.6 with approach shots, and around 0.6 with his driving. So he's basically two and a half strokes better than the field every round he plays because he's sort of equally outperforming in each of the four main areas. And if you give... <laughs> You know, Jordan Speed, that's he's averaging 10 strokes better than the field at tournament. He's within a stroke around of winning every time he tees it up, which is pretty darn good. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy, the fact that there's no shot link at the majors, and I'm sure as a stats guy, um, you, you feel the same way, but there's clearly huge appetite for all this information out there. Why, why have the majors not gotten up to speed with this stuff? Um. Well, I, I don't know the answer to that, and I'm hoping that uh, the fans and the media can, can put some pressure on, but uh, the Masters started with their shot tracker system a couple years ago, but they don't publish the, the results. So, which un is so un unlike Augusta. <laughs> um, the U.S. Open started this year at Chambers Bay, but it was sort of in a, in a trial phase, so... Um, they, they had it for the first time this year at, at, at the U.S. Open, which was great. The PGA of America, the PGA Championship, had um, the, uh, the PGA Tour shot link system 
at the last two PGA championships. So if Augusta would, you know, allow access to the data or analysis of it, it's now three out of the four majors that, that could have it. And then the only holdout is the British Open. I've got two final questions for you. One is if there was, uh, you know, if you could have access to some sort of statistical information or database that you don't currently, like anything that the tour could provide, what, is there, what would that be? Is there anything that you're, you're not getting that you would like to see? Oh, there's, um, so a, a lot of the advances in analytics in, in baseball and in basketball have to do with better data. And in basketball, they now have cameras in every arena recording 20 times a second where all the players are on the court and where the basketball is. And so there's now this great data set for teams to analyze player player performance. In baseball, they have um, they've been tracking pitches using uh, radar camera systems at, at each of the stadiums. And in addition, in the last few years, they've been recorded where every hit ball is going and where the outfielders and infielders are positioned when the ball is hit. And so they know not only the trajectory of the pitch coming in, but the trajectory of the batted ball going going out. So that's allowed for a lot of analysis that you couldn't do 10 or 20 years ago when sort of Moneyball was written. That was actually pretty old-style stats compared to what, what they're doing now. So in golf, to make the analogy, what would be great would be if they had a, uh, a uh, launch monitor system for every shot. Currently, the PGA Tour records tee shots on two holes using uh, radar. But conceivably, you could record the trajectory of every shot and then what happens to the ball, say, when it gets on the green. How much does it bounce forward? How much does it spin back? And are people fading the balls into greens? Are they, they hooking it? How low or high are they hitting it, depending on the wind? So I think that's sort of the nirvana as far as uh, golf analytics goes, is they have even even more data. Um, but I think that's that's a few years off in the future. Yeah, well, that's amazing. It's uh, you you think we have access to everything, but clearly there's there's much more to explore. Um, I was reading a uh, Boston Globe interview. I think it was on your website, but this was from. Larry Summers, the former uh, Treasury Secretary, and he was asked what what he was reading at that at that moment, and he he, he cited your book, Every Shot Counts, which I, I thought was kind of impressive. That was a lot of fun. One of the uh, the great things about publishing this book is getting uh, emails and contact from people from all walks of life, but including Larry Summers. That uh, you know, he sent me an email saying that he liked the book and. So it, it had an impact far beyond sort of what uh, what I had imagined. So not only PGA Tour pros and coaches and caddies, but uh, announcers and college coaches and a bunch of you know amateur golfers and just sort of um, people that are interested in sports and, and analytics. Um, I've heard from all all sorts of people, and that's been been really rewarding. I think you're a, a certified rock star in the golf stats world. Well, I don't, I don't know about that, but it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I think uh, golf was, uh, was, and is, is ripe for 
sort of more more insights that that this data can can provide and i think there's a lot more still to come for sure and we look forward to it hey mark thank you so much for your time I enjoyed it alan it's a real pleasure thank you for having me on your podcast thanks for tuning in to the golf.com podcast you can subscribe on itunes or at si.com slash podcasts you can tweet me at at Alan underscore basketball or my co-host Alan Shipnick at at Alan Shipnick to let us know what you think of the show or to suggest guests you would like to see on upcoming episodes. For Alan Shipnick, my producers, Elizabeth Newman and Sean Zock, thank you for listening to the Golf.com podcast.